Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 243. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Moon Knight, episode one, The Goldfish Problem, directed by Mohamed Diab, written by Jeremy Slater, who has created the series for television, and Moon Knight is, of course, a Kevin Feige production. But before we begin our review, we want to let you know about Fanshow Plus. That is the podcast that is available to premium subscribers, whether that's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you search for the MCU Fanshow channel or just search for Fanshow Plus on Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe there. On Fanshow Plus, we talk about additional MCU news and other stuff outside of the MCU, including spoiler reviews of other Disney Plus series like The Book of Boba Fett or over on HBO Max, the Peacemaker series that concluded earlier this year. So plenty more over on Fanshow Plus, so make sure you check that out on Apple Podcasts or at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fanshow on Instagram and Twitter. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to all of you who have taken the time already to leave your review. Now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? Well, Paul Herman is very impatient. I'll say that right now. I'm very, very impatient person sometimes, Sean, and it's very hard to be a fan when you're impatient. I'm, I can fully, full disclosure, I know myself well enough to know I'm a very impatient person, more than probably the average person is. And so Paul Herman is very impatient. So that'll be the theme of the show, probably. I think a lot of people <laughs> understand what Paul Herman is talking about when Paul Herman says that Paul Herman is impatient. We'll see how yes. long we can carry this third person bit. But yes. I understand exactly where you're coming from when we're talking about the first episode of Moon Knight, because there's not a whole lot of Moon Knight in it, at least in terms of physically Moon Knight there in the costume. You have to wait until the final shot in order to get that, which is certainly a choice. And we will talk about that as we go on and, and break down the episode in the spoiler review and also in looking ahead and, and maybe discussing some strategies of how things might have been able to uh, be done differently in terms of how many episodes maybe they should have dropped to start this as opposed to just the one episode. But I also feel like in some ways those are two separate tracks where you have the episode doing what it's doing and presenting the story uh, as it unfolds in the episode, which I thought was really, really great, and I really enjoyed it. But I also had an advantage that not everybody else had. So I was able to, after I watched the first episode of Moon Knight, I was like, wow, that was really fun. And I can't wait to see what happens next. And I don't because I had the luxury of having the screeners of the first four episodes. So I got to continue on. Now, I am going to compartmentalize and I am going to try and pretend that I have not seen, at least for a little while, uh, try and pretend that I have not seen the episodes that follow. And of course, I will not be including any spoilers from episodes two through four of Moon Knight. So the spoiler discussion is limited to the very first episode of Moon Knight here on this episode of MCU Fan Show. Um, but certainly there were things in, in knowing what they're coming up and again, not spoiling what those things are, uh, where I can talk a, a little bit more about, as I was saying, the, the choice to just drop this one episode 
that doesn't have very much Moon Knight in it. But we'll save that for the end of the episode. Let's start with the beginning of the episode, which is a little bit of a prologue that rather quietly introduces us to our antagonist of this series, Dr. Arthur Harrow, as played by Ethan Hawke. And we just see that he is walking on glass or with glass in his shoes. And not really much is revealed there other than, I guess this is Dr. Arthur Harrow walking the walk. Um, So as villain introductions go, not that you necessarily know he is the villain in the story unless you've been told he's the antagonist in the story. Um, I was fine with this as, as, as an opening. It certainly had me curious as to what exactly this is about and what Uh, Dr. Arthur Harrow is going to do next, Uh, but there's not a whole lot to the scene, so it's not necessarily that. It didn't give me a whole lot of feelings, but I was at least intrigued by the start. Yeah, this was interesting for a couple reasons for me, because uh, one, it's a Bob Dylan song that opens everything, and I'm I'm actually a pretty big Bob Dylan fan, mostly the early, early, mid 60s or mid late 60s and the 70s. After it gets like the mid late 70s, I kind of drop off and Bob just gets kind of all over the place. But I digress. Uh, but it was interesting because uh, Ethan Hawke is, you know, a musician, big music person as well. And I almost can guarantee you he probably was the reason that that song is in there in the first place. <laughs> I, could, I would almost bet money on it. Um, and also it was interesting because I found out that that whole scene was, was actually his idea, mm. uh, apparently. So when I put when I heard that, I went, okay, that probably, the song was probably his choice as well because he's a big fan of all that, that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, this was this was to me um, a good introduction to this character because you know full, again full disclosure for this. You know, this character does not have a big history of the comic books. So like I think this show in general, Sean, this show is going to take a lot of liberties with the character and the mythology of Moon Knight from the, the original comic books. And that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing, but it's not a detriment. I'm not, that's not me being even negative. It's a very, very, I want to make it very obvious and make it sure, make sure the people who watch the show that this character is not this big, you know, deep meaning character in the mythos at this point anyway, uh, in the Moon Knight series. Um, and maybe what they might do, which Marvel Studios has, has done a great job of, is combining different aspects of the characters um, in, in, you know, mashing storylines together and making a, a really cool, uh, cohesive story for the mainstream audience. I'm curious if that's what happens with with uh, with Harlow here, but um, but anyway, Ethan Hawke is is a great actor. I've always been a fan of Ethan Hawke. I wasn't always a fan of how he you know expresses opinions about superhero stuff and things like that. Um, but uh, I did hear him uh, talk a little bit further about it and he explained itself, and I, I respect it a lot a lot more. Um, I've always been a fan of Ethan Hawke. Uh, the, the before sunset, sunrise, after, you know, dusk movies, whatever. Those are great. I need to see the last one still. Um, so getting him in this move in the show anyway was was a great. <clears throat> it was having him in the, in the beginning was interesting. So, um, but if you know, it was for me as a, as a, you know, a lover of the character of Moon Knight, mm. knowing kind of where this villain is when you have him put glass in his shoes and he starts walking around, I immediately am like, okay, where is this going? Because in the comics, he's like some mad, like mad scientistish character. And that's not at all what he is here. So I'm immediately am very just intrigued of what exactly is going on. Um, and, and then that is good for a fan like me and myself, who's a you know, fan of the comic books and mythology. So I'm on my toes. Like, what does this mean? So right. it was, it was a very interesting choice all around of, of not showing Ethan Hawke's face 
um, the Gator Cane, and then the Bob Dylan song from like the sounds like the early '90s, <laughs> so going over top of it. So, right, uh, it was a very interesting, uh, I thought, introduction to the character. Well, and also interesting at any time we see that happen. Not that this is the first time it's it's ever happened, but when you decide to open with your antagonist as opposed to your protagonist, you know, your your yes. title character, and I think that was kind of fitting as a choice because as these characters go. One of them is, uh, pardon the pun with him walking on glass in his shoes, but it's a lot more sh- there's it's a lot more sure-footed for Dr. Arthur Harrow than it is for Stephen Grant in this story where Arthur Harrow knows exactly who he is and, and what he wants, whereas Stephen Grant is is maybe not so sure. And let's talk about that. Meeting Stephen Grant, Stephen with a V. And uh, we we catch him with, uh, well, the song is A Man Without Love by Engelbert Humperdinck as we see him checking the signs of his flat to see if he's uh, if there are any signs that he's left. We see that he's restrained himself by his ankle to his bedpost. He has also, um, he's also put sand around his bed just to see if he's left any footprints, if he's left in the middle of the night, and also taped his door to see if he's left at any point during the night. And between the song and... And everything that they're doing, checking in on the one fin, the one fin wonder Gus, his goldfish. I really like the almost whimsical approach to this because Moon Knight is a darker character and things get darker as this story goes on. There's even some mm. genuinely scary moments uh, in terms of the presentation in this episode at later at later points. And so that almost tonal dissonance of. You know, we're dealing with, uh, it's a character who's dealing with a very serious thing with his dissociative identity disorder, but then almost having this, uh, a more upbeat tone with the way we're initially being introduced to this. Um, I I really enjoyed that part of it. I mean, and I think I liked it even more rewatching the episode where you know everything, you, at that point, you know everywhere the episode is going to go, everywhere the story is going to go, and it really just makes that juxtaposition that much more impactful that we're starting off in this very lighthearted kind of way, even though we are mm-hmm. dealing with material that is very, very heavy as far as what this character is experiencing. And then just other stuff, uh, the voicemail he's leaving for mom, and you just immediately wonder, does he ever actually talk to his mom? Uh, that, that certainly is a, a question I was thinking right away <laughs> as he was leaving uh, that message. Uh, and uh, signing off with Later's Gators, which I think everybody is absolutely going to steal. Um, but yeah, this uh, this initial approach to Stephen Grant before we even get to his job at the museum, I, I did I, I thought that was fun. There, you brought up something very interesting about you know going with a more lighthearted aspect of tone, you know, initially, and I didn't even think about that until you literally just said that, Sean, um, about Stephen Grant in general. Again, I'm gonna go a lot off on a lot of mythology of Moon Knight here. It's why I'm here, basically. So just bear with me, because I love this character a lot. Um, yeah. But Stephen Grant, obviously, in the comics is a rich character. You know, rich the Bruce Wayne aspect of yeah, the character. Very, very um, different presentation of the character right. here. And, and again, I'm not like that. I do not care about that at yeah, all. Yeah, different doesn't mean bad. Just different. Yeah. But what's what, but and then, and this is actually a positive thing, um, to be honest, because what I kind of realized, and maybe this is a no dumb moment for everyone, so you can yell at me if, later if you want on Twitter or whatever. Um, but it is, a, 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 I think, a good choice to 
to take this aspect of Stephen Grant because the Jake Lockie character, I never really, whatever. He's just kind of a leftover character, in my opinion, from the comic books, whatever. As far as the identity goes, um, but Stephen Grant and, and Mark Spector were always the two main people that always affected the main storyline. These, you know, from the Doug Mensch, um, uh, you know, Bill Sienkiewicz storylines that, that I'm reading lately, um, or rereading for the most part. Um, and what this version of the character is compared for what we've already seen later on with Mark Spector or you can imply is he is like the, the light and dark. There's like the light dark aspect and, and Stephen Grant is the lighter, more, you know, positive aspect of Mark Spector or this, this person. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. And I didn't think about that, having that the idea. Cause then again, in the comics, it's there, there. He doesn't have initially this problem. That's kind of brought in later on, and and you know, in the last like 10, 15 years, initially he's he's he knows exactly who he is, but he's just like I'm just gonna be this person because this is my identity now, and I'm you know whatever, um, you know, for whatever situation he needs to go in. But what's interesting about this is that Stephen Grant is this positive person, and you established that right off the bat. So like right. again, like what you what you talked about, how he you know you have this dark material. And we're going to, it's going to get darker. I know that. Well, too. even when he's mad, he's not that mad or he exactly. pretends not to be like the guy who's selling brooms or whatever out in front of his place. And he's like, oh, right in my doorway, but I'm totally cool with it. And even though he's totally not cool with it. And, and yeah, just the relentless optimism and politeness and just the overall pleasant approach to just being who he is for Stephen Grant. But I, I think the choice to not have him be a not have not having be a millionaire i think it's important for the story because i think what they're trying to really convey is a sense of powerlessness for stephen grant that he's yeah you're not and a lack of control and i think if you feel like he's a guy who is a very rich powerful person it, it takes away from this thing of mark specter being the strong one and i i think mm-hmm. this series as it goes on can get into the notions of, well, what actually makes a person strong? And it's not necessarily going to be the guy who kicks the most ass all the time. So, uh, but in order to do that, like, I I think you want to have, you don't want to have Stephen Grant and Mark Spector each be obviously powerful just in different ways. I think you want to hide whatever power Stephen Grant may have and and really convey the Mm -hmm. idea that he doesn't have any. And even the way they, they have a swerve here, because when he shows up at the museum and he's uh, talking to the girl who had stashed her trash in, in the pyramid and you he's the expert, right? He commands all of this knowledge and he, he knows his stuff. And then you find out, well, no, he's not a tour guide. He just works at the gift shop, right? Like that's his job here at the museum, no disrespect to gift shop employees at museums, but like he's not in a position of power within the hierarchy of this uh, of this museum. There's also a very interesting question asked by the girl of whether or not he was judged, um, implying that he it's a very much a sixth sense type of moment. Like, is she saying that Stephen Grant is dead? And even he wonders it. He even says, I'm not dead, am I? Before his boss comes and scolds him about not doing his job at the gift shop and he needs to sell more whatever treats to kids um, that are not historically <laughs> accurate uh, as he points out and even points out other things that are not historically accurate like the Ennead poster that only has seven gods uh, where there should be nine and I think overall what it's really showing is that Stephen Grant is everything or many things that Mark Spector isn't and it's 
put forth in a way throughout this episode as almost an, an inconvenience, right? Because it means that Stephen Grant is going to be in danger and he can't get himself out of it. Although in fairness to Stephen Grant, he's not really the one who gets himself into danger. It's Mark Spector who's taken over and gotten him into these dangerous situations. But this uh, overall, this introduction between um, alone at his own place, waking up to mm-hmm. our, our first introduction of him at his job, I really liked this intro to Stephen Grant, and I thought it was very effective to kind of set up just the that give that sense of powerlessness for the character and that that lack of control, because obviously it's something that he is struggling for. But apparently he's in more control than than we think, because he's been uh, it is Stephen Grant is the one who's been keeping Mark Spector at bay, uh, at least to some extent um, through until this moment in his life. Yeah, and and what I liked about this was it was a good setup because you're you're kind of explaining the the whole Egyptian god aspect with him, you know, working there. It, it's no obviously no there's no uh, accident that he's working there at the gift shop, you know, with these all these things here, and he knows all his information, and he's there to kind of explain to the audience like, oh, we're missing two gods or, or the two or three, I forgot which it was, but yeah, either way, two. like. Which gods are those? You know, we're right. probably gonna find out, right? I mean, this is good setup for everything, and yeah, I I'd actually liked Stephen Grant's uh, character. I, I I didn't mind it, um, because and I thought it was again, this was a good choice. I thought to bring in the audience, um, to kind of ease them into the character. I don't think you ease them in with Mark Spector's gruffness and mercenary ties. Uh, yeah, it's right off the bat. <laughs> it's very disarming, but then also I think for. Oscar Isaac, like he's a guy who just has such a commanding presence as an actor, and he's also just so undeniably cool. So to put him in this space of just not being cool at all, yeah, and Mm -hmm. that's how great of an actor Oscar Isaac is, is he can actually convince you momentarily that he's not cool when we all know that he he just has to be the coolest because he generally is. Um, And he's just amazingly talented, and I love uh, what we get to see in here. And there's also some additional setup for later in the episode, like um, the woman who is excited for their date and uh, Stephen thinks he's been asked out, um, which uh, is confusing but funny to her, which means that Mark Spector is the one who asked her mm-hmm. out. So anyway, that will come back in uh, to help illustrate the passage of time later on in this episode. But we do get a, a quick kind of cutaway there as uh, as Stephen Grant is speaking with the uh, the human statue who the credits confirm and then Jeremy yeah. Slater also confirmed uh, on social media that this is Crawley, Crawley being a character in the comic books who is um, a homeless man whom Moon Knight and various identities frequently speak to and mm, provide some counsel. With. Yeah, provide some counsel and some assistance and, and all of that stuff. So, you know, this is a, a known kind of supporting character within the comic books who doesn't, who really literally does not have a speaking role and not very much movement uh, in the Moon Knight series. Um, but I still liked that inclusion mm. and, uh, and also just the way it provides a little bit of info, like Stephen Grant is talking to him about how his body wants to get up and wander about. And Stephen Grant doesn't know where his body goes or what he does. He doesn't even know that he's moved until he wakes up and finds out and sees himself in a different place. And that's our little clue right there about what we are about to see. And I think it's interesting to think about how people experience this series because those of us who've whether you are a Moon Knight expert or you've read enough Moon Knight comic books or 
because they have been pretty clear about this in, in some of the publicity around the series. I mean, Kevin Feige talked about it when they announced the series back at uh, D23 Expo in 2019, talking about the dissociate, the dissociative identity disorder that Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant slash Moon Knight that they have and how this is an ongoing issue for this character and which identity is in control, what's real versus what isn't, and all of these questions that go around, uh, that swirl around these different identities, like are are they all real? Are they all mad? Is, uh, is it just one person who's gone mad and everything else is totally made up? The nature of Moon Knight is to kind of question the nature of reality. That is something that uh, is frequently brought up in the comic books, and you see the series kind of start to explore that a little bit in this first episode, but I just explained all that because I already knew all of that was going on between what I heard Kevin Feige say at D23 and what they've said in other uh, press and publicity materials, and then also just knowing Moon Knight comic books. For people who are just watching this series without having read a Moon Knight comic book, without having looked uh, very closely at, you know, because I don't think the regular marketing material like trailers and TV spots have really illustrated this, at least not the ones that I've seen. And I, I cut myself off a while ago, so I don't know what they what they went on to show. But this is definitely one where I'm very curious about the perspective of somebody who goes into this not knowing all of that stuff about the character already. And you're discovering it kind of in real time as Stephen Grant is making these discoveries and how that shifts your experience because it totally has to. And because um, mm -hmm. I think we are experiencing, for you and I, Paul, we're experiencing Stephen Grant playing catch up to what we know, uh, mm. whereas other people are there with him step for step in the whole mystery of it all. So you can see how that would very much provide um, very different viewing experiences. So I'd be very curious for what people think about it who who maybe don't know as much or anything about this going into it yeah i i definitely feel that they're they've done a good job i think of kind of bringing everyone in and i think the nods like crowley was a, was a good nod and it, it, a good way of showing you where you know, playing us catch up with a an easter egg uh here with with that character and and again i'm i'm not like as big enough moon knight fan to tell or I love the character so much, but I'm not beholden and precious to his supporting cast. I don't think they're that crucial to him. But having that as a nod and a way for him to, you know, from for Steven's character to like talk out loud and give exposition and backstory is perfect. It's a good, you know, a good thing. But yeah, I, I feel that the Stephen Grant and everything and the reveal of it, this is the right way to go. I I, I won't be that very clear. I I'm impatient, but I definitely feel for a mainstream audience to get to know the character. I definitely feel this way. Yeah, and I, I think if you're, you know, listening closely to this conversation and not just distracted by the golden statue guy, um, you're definitely getting a, a heads up of what you are about to see and, and what Stephen Grant has been afraid of, what he's been taking these precautions against. And now you see him taking even more precautions when he goes home. And this is how he copes with this whole thing. He just tries to stay awake, which you can't do. So he does his best, but you're not going to be able to stay awake forever. Even the tape that he's listening to tells him you need five hours of sleep. So there's just no way he's going to be able to keep himself awake all the time. And he doesn't. Instead, he wakes up in the Swiss Alps, not Latveria, as some people were saying. Oh, is that Latveria? No, it is not. Um, he wakes up with a dislocated jaw. And we meet for the first time 
Khonshu, as voiced so wonderfully by F. Murray Abraham. And we don't know, if you don't know the story of this, who or what Khonshu is or what exactly this means, but it is a voice that is shouting at Stephen and it doesn't like Stephen at all, calls him a worm, uh, calls him an idiot, at one point later on calls him a parasite uh, in this whole sequence, talking about the idiot being in control, and the whole dressing down of Stephen Grant by Khonshu, I, I was into, I just found that very, very funny. Um, and also, I just this is where like the fan out moments start to happen, where Khonshu is now part of the story. So, you know, you are getting that much closer to Moon Knight, although not as close as I would have hoped I was to seeing Moon Knight uh, in this series. But uh, Stephen discovers that uh, in his pocket, he's got this golden scarab. And then he starts waving to the locals who start shooting at him. Oh, crap. Better run. Heads into the village. And then he sees Arthur Harrow and Arthur Harrow's dreaded tattoo of judgment. And Harrow's got the power of Amit, the uh, Egyptian god that would judge people, judge the dead in the afterlife. But now we're taking on uh, more of a minority appro- uh, minority report approach to judgment as we see uh, a woman who says she's been good her whole life, but maybe it's something in the future when the scales, the, the scales of justice or judgment on the tattoo, they turn red and they favor her being bad. So maybe it's something in the future that she was going to do. And she is taken out and then we and she's just gone. And Stephen Grant witnesses this whole thing. And overall, I I really enjoyed this whole sequence. I I think it creates additional intrigue for Arthur Harrow and what exactly this is uh, what exactly this is about uh, in terms of the power that he has, because here we just saw him drain the life out of someone as he talks about kind of having just a little bit of Amit's power, well, it looks like more than a little bit, or if that's just a little bit, then what are we going to be dealing with as this story goes on? And there were also just some some fun moments, as I said, the way they the way they handle these tonal shifts, um, which can be tricky. And if you don't do it well, then it it just kind of falls flat, or it can be rather jarring as uh, as an audience member. But that's not really the way that I felt, and I like the way that. Harrow identified him out of identified Stephen out of the crowd as he says something and everybody bows down and Stephen Grant is the last one to bow down so it's like oh crap and then the whole keep away bit with the scarab as Stephen Grant has no problem giving the scarab to Arthur Harrow but Kanchu is stopping him and making Stephen Grant close his fist and move it around and playing that game of keep away and then the blackouts just when it looks like Stephen Grant is about to be done for we see something take over, but we don't see the the result. We see the aftermath just as Stephen Grant does. Now there's just bloody bodies on the ground, and that uh, sets up the chase. And the chase, I thought, was a lot of fun. So, Because, look, anytime you want a needle drop wham, uh, I'm with you. So never a bad time for that. And I really appreciated that in this sequence. And, of course, Wake Me Up is, is very, very appropriate uh, well, for where know. we are in, the, in this story. Um, you could say it's on the nose, but I do not care. As I said, no bad time for wham. Uh, and I really, really, uh, I really, really dug that. Um, and then cupcake violence, the blackouts with the different things in the chase scene, with especially like when he's waking up and all of a sudden he's driving in reverse or waking up and the guy has been shot in the head behind him. All of that stuff I, I thought was really, was really, really well done. I, I, I loved the way you just didn't have any of that sure footing or exactly where you were. I mean, yes, as a comic book fan, I'm like, okay, I understand the mechanics of what's happening here. Mark Spector is taking over in all these moments and he's taking all of these people out. And then it goes back to 
Stephen Grant once there's a, a moment that appears safe. So even though I understand that in my head, I am still enjoying it, and I feel like I'm still able to get lost enough in this story as it's happening. But I also do wonder, remember I said two different, uh, probably more than two, but two general ways of experiencing this. Like, if you don't know that this is what's happening, if you don't know the the extent of this, the dissociative identity disorder with this character, then I, I think there might have been, you might have even had more fun with uh, with the mystery, or you were very confused. I'm not sure, but I could see if you were willing to if you were willing to go with the idea of not having to understand everything immediately as it's happening and just kind of reveling in the mystery, I, I think um, I think there was a lot of fun to be had here. I mean, and knowing the dissociative identity disorder and what's probably happening here, I was still having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple. I have a couple issues with this the scene. Um, the, the the breakdowns of when you know he flips over, it got jarring after a while. Mm. I just I was, it was it got to, at least to me. I, I didn't dislike it necessarily, but I didn't love it. And so it just got to a point where I was just getting annoyed. I'm like, okay, I get it. Like this show me, it's, it just felt kind of jarring again. That's just me my own personal taste. Didn't hate it. It wasn't like, this is the worst. It just was like, eh, I wish they would have done a little bit differently, but for the most part, it was fine. Um, this is going to be a con. This will be a controversial thing. Uh, I do not like Conchie's voice. Really? Not a fan, not a fan, oh. not a fan. And, and this is my my interpretation of Conchu and the inner and, and <clears throat> I think there's room for there's some room for uh, changes later on, even with this later in, in my opinion for the character, because as if you read the comics and I think this is this is an interesting aspect of the character is that Conchu is constantly shifting potential potentially if you want to go that route if you catch my drift um, he, he it's always shifting. So you can go between male, female, whatever, because I think because of Mark um, and his disorder or whatever, I think there's room for it to be altered and changed. Um, it sounds comical to me. Like when I first heard it, I went, what? That's his voice? And I'm like, no, that can't be. And then it was. And I went, oh, I don't know. And this is, again, this is my own personal choice. Maybe, maybe this is too on the nose. But I, every time I think of, when I read Conchu in the comics, and I think of, like, a, a god talking to you, I think of, like, very, like, monotone. I think of, like, Donnie Darko of, like, you know, of the bunny uh, talking to him. Like, that kind of thing. And, again, maybe that's too on the nose. Predictable. I don't know. But it just, it almost came across comical to me. And it was, it was hard to like not take it seriously sometimes. So as of right now, not a fan of the voice and, and no, it's going to be, it's going to irritate a lot of people and just can't help it, man. It's not into it. And I've, I've listened to it a couple times now. And I'm like, yeah, I just, it's not working for me. Maybe in other episodes it'll work better. But as of right now, I'm just not a fan. I need yeah. a little bit more seriousness to it. It doesn't sound like that, like menacing to me. Cause I always think of Conchu is a little bit more menacing than that, but well, I don't again, think it's, I don't know that it's the voice that's comical. I know that the dialogue is definitely comical and I think sure. that's where, I mean, and look at the voice sounds funny to you. It sounds funny to you. I, sure. I like the voice. Um, although yeah, it didn't necessarily have that, I don't know, godlike presence of that big booming, as you said, monotone uh, mm. type of voice. But I kind of feel like that really helped in this moment. And, and I, I like the idea that Kanshu as a god is frustrated with Stephen Grant. And, and I, it almost makes me wonder if like, is this 
is this how Conchu talks all the time, or is this how Conchu talks when it's with Stephen Grant? Because you wonder, uh, you're just like, okay, well, he's obviously annoyed with this guy, and this guy gets in the way of what Conchu knows that he and Mark need to do in order to stop Harrow from whatever he's doing and Amit and, and, and whatever else. So I, I, I like the idea of him being just so frustrated with, uh, with Stephen Grant that this is maybe the side of himself this is the side of Khonshu that we see or, or hear right now. But again, hey, if you don't like the voice, uh, you don't like the voice. But overall with this sequence, I do think it's tonally not necessarily supposed to be jarring. But in terms of that experience, like it is supposed to be a little bit jarring in terms of it goes from there's danger to it's kind of okay, but what just happened here? I think that's definitely the, the mechanics of the scene. That's what they're going for. You're not really supposed to have a a firm grasp on what's going on because you're supposed to be feeling kind of like Stephen Grant of he also does not have a firm grasp of exactly what's happening here. He's just trying to survive and he's trying to survive with only a part time view of what he's actually doing and, and what ex uh, what exactly is happening here. So I do think that was very intentional in, in terms of the presentation. And I thought it was I thought it was effective, but also, I had that security blanket of, well, I kind of know what's going on here. Um, and uh, But I, I do wonder what the experience was like for those who maybe didn't have that same uh, base of knowledge uh, going into it. Um, but anyway, uh, Stephen Grant wakes up from this dream, or was it a dream? And everything seems to be in order. The restraint is still on, the sand seems undisturbed, and the tape is still on the door. But uh, one thing is amiss, and that is one finned Gus now has two fins. And that sets up an amusing return to the pet shop. And it turns out that Stephen Grant, or someone else, some other identity with the same body, uh, was there yesterday. But Stephen Grant has no memory of this. So there was a swap out, a previous swap out of the fish. Who knows whatever, what actually happened to one finned Gus. I don't know if that is a mystery that will be solved at any point uh, in this series. But as Stephen Grant uh, realizes, well, um, he can't uh, he can't be dealing with all this pet shop business because he is late for his date. But he has no idea how late he is because he went to bed on Thursday. He woke up. Everything seemed fine. So had a nightmare, but everything else seems fine. Went to bed on Thursday, woke up. It must be Friday, except that it's Sunday as he thinks he's been stood up at the restaurant by his date. Finds out that he was the one who uh, who stood her up. And I, I really do like this whole what's going on uh, approach. And as I said, for for me, it's a little bit of I need Stephen Grant to catch up to where I'm at. And that doesn't mean I fully understand the nature of the reality as it's going to be explained to us in this show, because totally not. But at least I know I know who's in control when Stephen Grant is not. Um, but he, of course, uh, you know, that's something that he'll have to catch up to later on. And as I said, maybe it plays uh, better or at least differently for people who don't know as much. But I still thought this scene was was funny. Like I, I liked him when he's because he's a vegan. Stephen Grant is a vegan, but he decides he's just so sad. He's going to go ahead and order a steak. What kind of steak does he want? The very good bit of steak. And how does he want it prepared? Well, he wants it good. Very good. Uh, which means well done, to which I know Paul Herman can relate because Paul Herman also likes his steaks burned. Uh, yes, so <laughs> I do. I don't uh, like to eat, I don't like to eat raw meat. 
That's just me. As as soon as the the waiter says uh, "well done," I was like immediately. I just thought to Paul because um, it's it's been a point of contention. Uh, contention. So. I don't for you guys. Not for me. I know. I, I, I know. Care. It shouldn't bother us, it, and it doesn't really bother me that much because I I do not have to eat the steaks that you order overcooked. Um, hey, yeah, there we go. There but you go. know what? I this might have been my favorite acting moment by Oscar Isaac my favorite piece of his performance in this episode is even though it's it's you know kind of funny with the whole steak thing it's very very sad the the look of disappointment and and heartbreak on his face and the helplessness that's there on his face not because he missed the date although I do think it's part of a larger thing of like this What's happening with this guy is pre- is preventing in his from his perspective right this is what's preventing him from having a life. He even talked to Crawley about it, right? He talked to him about how, yeah, because it, even if he did get a girlfriend, there would be a lot to explain in terms of the restraints, the tape, the sand, all that stuff. So it's he knows that whatever's going on, even though he doesn't fully understand the nature of it, he knows how much it's costing him and how he's fighting this thing. And it is absolutely to no avail. Like this guy just lost days of his life and had no idea that it happened. And that's where as as silly as the approach is at times, even though it's as I said it's this weird juxtaposition that somehow works of it's being presented in in some ways in some ways it feels kind of silly and fun, but at the same time it's very violent horrific things for him to all of a sudden be Uh, thrust into and then also having to be running from his life and and being shot at all of this stuff is happening and he has absolutely as far as he can tell no control over it whatsoever and his sadness his disappointment over that it's written all over his face in that piece of Oscar Isaac's performance uh, which I thought was really really great so you can go ahead and you can play some of this stuff for fun at times but it's also nice to get real and get heavy and say that, hey, this is a very serious problem for this guy. Um, and uh, Oscar Isaac does a great job of portraying that. Yeah, I, what I thought was interesting was this is the first time that this has happened where he's missed days of his life. And you know, even though he's, he has sleepwalking or you know he, he wanders about, if you will, and he, as he establishes, he's never lost multiple days. You know, So that was interesting. Um, the first, so whatever's been happening as Stephen Grant has not happened this, you know, the severity of this has never been that bad. So that was interesting to me when I, when this happened. Yeah. I don't know if they, I don't know if they say specifically that this is the first time that that's happened, but you certainly get that sense that whatever he's been dealing with, just when he thought maybe it was okay. Like, yeah, it definitely has that sense of, Oh crap. No, it's not okay. And it's probably the worst it's ever been. And, and I really don't understand it because I've done all of these things that I've done with the restraints, the sand, the tape, whatever, I've done all of these things to give myself some clue as to whether or not this is still happening. And, and all signs point to this has not still been happening. But we also get a sense of how long he's been dealing with this because the first time we see him throw the tape, we don't see where it lands. The next time we see him throw the tape, it's in the full weight, the overflowing wastebasket uh, waste and several pieces of tape still there on the floor uh, that have just spilled over. So now we we see how long uh, this has been an issue. But definitely, I, I agree with you. The sense here is that 
oh crap, uh, this is not getting any better. In fact, it's getting much, much worse. And um, he's leaving another message for mom. And then it's time for a haunted night um, as his body's been on the move. And now he's starting to see that there is a, a secret stash in his own home that this other uh, identity has been keeping. Not that he even knows it is a different identity at this point. He finds a phone and a key, and the phone has missed calls from Layla, one missed call from uh, Duchamp, who is Frenchy in the comic book. So there's another Moon Knight comic book Easter egg. And now Layla is on the phone, and she is calling him Mark, and we get that moment from the very first trailer. Why did you call me Mark? And then he's off the phone, and then Mark has entered the chat via mirrors, and Mark is telling, or a mirror, and Mark tells Stephen to stop looking as Stephen is running through the hallway. And um, I like that comment of stop looking because it shows a, a little bit, I think it provides a little bit of insight into the interaction between these different identities, which is... I do my business, you do yours, and neither one of us is really supposed to be checking in on the other, where whatever, because Stephen Grant has been dealing with this for a long time, but you don't get the sense that he's been investigating it as quite as much, and now he appears to be very much, and, and there is this fight, there's definitely this internal fight for control of the body of which identity is going to be uh, present or at the forefront at, at any given moment. And it seems like Mark was probably okay to let Stephen, the Stephen Grant identity live his life as long as he never looked into what Mark was doing. So there wasn't really an intersection or overlap where Stephen could be harmed or where Stephen might accidentally ruin things for Mark Spector slash Moon Knight slash whatever. But that's no longer happening. So I think that's what he's referring to when he tells Stephen to stop looking is, all of this is fine, and you're fine as long as you just stay out of it. If you lose a little bit of time, if you lose some sleep, or you wake up and you don't know where you're at, it's fine. I'll take care of you. Just don't uh, don't go looking for trouble, uh, and then you won't find it. But that already hasn't really been working. So I, you can't really fault Stephen for wanting to know exactly what he himself has been up to, or he thinks it's himself uh, has been up to. But uh, I really liked this whole sequence, though, from the introduction of the Mark Spector identity to the the escape down the hallway and into the elevator. I mean, there was some of the stuff we saw with uh, the elevator lady, as she's credited, played by Anne Cavanaugh, I thought was great, like her getting really scared and trying to say that her friend Claire is expecting her because she thinks that Stephen Grant means her harm. I thought was funny, but I also thought there was just some genuinely spooky stuff in this. You know, the shots of Khonshu coming down the hallway with a little bit of that, the, the strobing effect. Like, we don't really get that sort of scary type of tone, mm -hmm. and I think we get more of it later on in the episode. But that's not really the, the tonal range that we've seen, or a tonal range that we've really seen the MCU delve into that much. And so I liked that message that it was sending in the very first episode. Some of the stuff was probably more familiar, right? Like we're kind of used to each each series or, or movie finds its own way of doing it. But we've seen the tonal shifts and, and tonal balance or tone donuts uh, to steal it from like the Russos or Marcus and McFeely of having to manage the tones of things that are uh, allowing things to be light and funny at times, but then also having things get darker and, and be much more uh, be much heavier emotionally. And how can you do that in one story or go back and forth so many times with that 
in a given moment. So that approach of some of the stuff is going to be a little silly, fun, whimsical, whatever. And then we're also going to mm -hmm. have some dark, violent things happening as well. And this whole sense of powerlessness and, and lack of control for Stephen Grant. We're going to do all of that. And then we're also going to have things get, uh, we're, we're going to have some fun and we're going to get heavy, but the MCU doesn't really get scary that often. And so that is where right. I, I like this piece of it in the very first episode to send that message of, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get dark in a way that we, not just literally, but figuratively, we're going to get dark in a way that you haven't seen from the MCU before. And so I, I really liked that in this first episode, especially as we got into the second half of it. Now, I may not love Conchu's voice, but I think Conchu looks freaking amazing. Like, it straight up looks exactly how I want him to look, or it's a look, I should say. Um, I, I, I think it, I think Conchu looks incredible. Uh, exactly what I want the, the god of, you know, the Egyptian jaw, uh, god I want, you know, from the comic books that I loved, that I think Warren Ellis is, um, uh, the original, that original series that he did. Uh, forgot the artist. Oh my God. So bad with artist names. Um, they did together and it's the Conchu, that Conchu version is what they're interpreting. And he, it looks incredible. And I think that to me is what I want to see more of, uh, more interactions with that. And obviously it's very expensive. It's CGI and, and everything, but yeah, that was my favorite, one of my favorite aspects of the show was when Conchu is there and he, it's taunting Steven and then the bus scene and everything. Like, mm -hmm. I love that stuff like that. That to me is what I want. I can't wait to get more of the show. And I, I bring up my original point when, when I first jumped on of being impatient. Cause that's the stuff I love. I want that stuff. Give me up to me the whole show, you know, which I'm sure we're going to get. So yeah, it was getting that stuff though. in the show was, was what I wanted. And I thought Conchu looked incredible Everything I wanted, perfect translation from page to screen, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I love Conchie's look. I mean, yeah. I love the voice right now at this moment, at this very moment. I, I'm, and I'm open to change. I'm open to see how, it, how it, you know, maybe I'll get used to it. But I, I think Conchie looks incredible otherwise. Yeah, Declan Shalvey is the artist that uh, from the Warren Ellis run that you're referring to. Yeah. Yes, um, very good. And I, I... I I totally get where you're coming from, and, and this will be something I'll, I'll have more to say about that I'll, I'll try to save for the end. But I, I think the way they are introducing Kanchu right now at, at this point in the first episode of the series, you have to you, you have to keep him somewhat hidden and only reveal little bits at a time because it's supposed to be scary, right? Like you're not for those of us who kind of know what we're in for with Kanchu, it's like, OK, well, we we get this. And, and yes, that's where the impatient comes comes in. Like, I can see what you're doing with this and it looks awesome. I just want to see more of it. And uh, but I also understand where if you're trying to sell the how scary, how frightening this experience is for Stephen Grant. Well, it's going to be a lot more frightening when you're barely catching glimpses of it and kind of being haunted by it as opposed to it's right there. Although when we do get that one clean shot from the bus, that one I love. That's it, it's it's not my it's not just my favorite shot of Conchu in this episode because it's obviously the most visible. It's just the style of it because it's totally the time you're mm -hmm. not expecting to see him. And that's where it, it can freak you out a little bit more. It can be that much more effective in terms of the the scare is you're just you've now kind of seen him. Well, I mean, I guess there was the daylight shot in the Swiss Alps, but you didn't really get a good look at Conchu there. So in this darkened strobing effect with the hallway or whatever, Conchu's there, Conchu's not there and whatever. Um, and then you just get this full reveal 
right there in in broad daylight when you're totally not expecting it. Stephen Grant not either. Um, I thought was very uh, I I loved all of that and just that whole bus ride to work. Like he gets off the bus and all of a sudden he finds out. Well, there was Harrow who was also on uh, that uh, that same bus and he's trying to get help with security in the museum, but it's free and everybody's allowed to come in. Um, and Harrow is there and we find out we see Harrow's got followers everywhere. So it's kind of like the Flag Smashers and the Falcon Winter Soldier of like, oh, you got all these antagonists now in the MCU who have just armies of followers that you just didn't uh, know about. But I guess that's, you know, very true for the modern age. So why not? Um, so anyway, uh, we get this conversation between Harrow and uh, and Stephen Grant. And this gives us kind of a this is the first time we really get Harrow clearly defining what exactly it is he's after, and he's here to help Amit. And where Amit has had to judge people based on their past, now Amit wants to be able to judge the past, present, and future of people. As I was saying before, she's uh, Amit is now wants to go full precog and do Minority Report and all of that stuff and take people out before they do the bad thing that they are going to do. Uh, that's what they're after, and Harrow is helping in pursuit of because uh, Kanchu or not Kanchu Amit has been uh, you know shunned by the gods, excluded by the gods, banished by the gods. So it's really more about this uh, this god Amit getting gaining power to be able to come back and provide this past, present, and future judgment uh, all at once, so that whoever's left on Earth it can truly be heaven on Earth because it will only be the good people left, the people who've always been good, are good, and will always be good, uh, according to Harrow and Amit. And uh, we get a little bit of the history of Amit being betrayed by her fellow gods, being betrayed by her own avatar, which sets up a bit about Stephen Grant talking about how he loved the movie Avatar, but then also wondering that the confusion might have been about the anime avatar as opposed to just what the human avatars are for the Egyptian gods, which I thought was funny. Um, so I liked Stephen Grant stammering his way through that. And um, but then also Harrow kind of tips his hand a little bit of knowing about the voice that Stephen hears and, uh, you know, having some some knowledge of that and uh, definitely seems to be very, um, very strong, intimate knowledge of that, uh, which creates additional intrigue as uh, the story of Harrow goes along. And then we see uh, Harrow grab Stephen's hands, and Stephen must face the tattoo of judgment. But uh, we don't see it render a verdict in the way that it did uh, for the two examples we saw in the Swiss Alps. Uh, we just know that something is, uh, something's off as uh, Harrow looks at it and says, there's chaos in you, another line right there from the trailer. And Stephen is able to make his escape only to just stay at work and do inventory. But I, I like that this, in, at this point in the first episode, as Stephen is the one who is just struggling to play keep up, as I was saying at the top with that prologue of that that whole idea of sure footing, like Harrow knows exactly what he's doing, exactly what he wants. And now we as an audience, we don't necessarily know all the hows and whys of it at, at this point in the story, but it definitely gives us a much clearer sense. And, and we continue to, which I guess makes sense with why this episode opened with Harrow as opposed to with Stephen Grant. I think mm. at this point, we know so much more about Harrow and his mission than we do about Stephen Grant and Mark Spector and Conju and Moon Knight and all of that. Yeah. And I, it, what I like what they're doing, they're setting up the fact that they're these rival, you know, avatars, basically. And 
you know, and what that means and, and what that will mean going in the future. And, and I think that's why they chose a character like Arthur Harlow, um, Harrow, excuse me. I keep saying Harlow, Harrow, excuse me. Um, to bring in this character and have him be this different kind of, you know, avatar in what, and I have no idea. I stay away, I get it. I stay away from spoilers. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm assuming he's going to be the avatar, the, the antagonist, obviously yeah. moon Knight here. And it's going to be a much different character than what we're going to get from the comic books. And it's going to be, I'm, I'm very interested and intrigued actually of how they interpret this. And so we've got some like werewolf kind of creature, you know, eventually in this, which I, I don't yeah. think that's going to happen necessarily with Arthur, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I like this because it set up everything you need to know about what's going on. And and really, this, besides Doctor Strange, is our first kind of foray into the horror aspects of the Marvel Universe, which we know there's been a lot of rumors for what that, you know, what we could be getting in the future, you know, with rumors of a Werewolf by Night Halloween special or... Um, different things like that, you know, the Midnight Suns, Blade coming soon, you know, Moon Knight's that kind of, you know, Doctor Strange, I'd say would be the first thing, you know, kind of, uh, kind of first tier of horror or with multiverse of madness, maybe. I would and, say this is, then, this is it. I mean, this beats yeah, Doctor Strange true, to yeah. the punch in that territory. Well, I mean, the character and, and like his, cause I always, and this is my own like bias. Cause like when I was first collecting comics in the late eighties, early nineties, Doctor Strange is kind of put into that world of horror. Like that was like his like his area, the Midnight Suns kind of. Um, and Moon Knight really wasn't. He was more of a vigilante. So it's yeah. kind of like a, a interesting kind of dynamic. But you're right. This this would technically be from that aspect. I again, I always consider Doctor Strange a little bit of a horror aspect, but not really an MCU. Um, but no, I, I think this will be really intriguing because we're going to get a lot of different mythical. Um, characters and and i and things from the introduction of this and, and it opens that world up that i think like the ebony blade that um mm. a little bit of that we get in eternals which i know eternals not everyone's favorite movie i don't hate it um you know listen to the show um ebony blade is probably, is probably my favorite aspect of the of the movie to be, <laughs> to be quite honest i don't know i i, um, I think Star Fox might beat the ebony blade for you oh but... that's right yeah you're right i almost forgot Star Fox. forgive me forgive yeah. me um but no but, I, uh, I think you're uh, I think you're right. Like it's, we, we've kind of known that like this was, this has just been in the air for the MCU, right? Like when right. Scott Derrickson, who didn't end up directing Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness, but he came out at, on stage at comic con and hall H in 2019, talking about it being the first scary movie in the MCU. And I don't really think that part of it changed. Like Sam Raimi does scary stuff, everybody. So I don't think that you have a switch from, Scott Derrickson to Sam Raimi to get rid of the scares. Like, I think that will still be part of it for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And there's definitely footage in the trailers that points us in that direction. And, you know, we know we've known that Blade was coming to the MCU and we hear the voice for the first time in that post credit scene for Eternals. And, you know, and, and I think we've known that Moon Knight was going to get into some of this territory like that the shot that ends this episode was a shot we saw in the trailer. Like Moon Knight was punching out some sort of monster. And so we knew that there was some supernatural horror type of element at, at play here. And, and even if that's not necessarily territory that Moon Knight has always been a part of, I mean, going, you mentioned the Warren Ellis run earlier, just in terms of the artwork for Conchu, but even some of that had some scarier stuff to it. And I, I think it's, you just have these characters that, whether they've historically done so all the time in the comics or just only at times, whatever it is, they lend themselves to this 
occult, supernatural, horror type of vibe. And it's just not a territory that the MCU has really explored, but we've been kind of on the precipice of it, of like, they're about to do this, they're about to do this. But I think that's why I, part of why I like this episode so much is now it it's not a thing they're about to do. It's a thing they're doing. It's here now in this episode of Moon Knight, and then it's going to continue. Like, it will continue, presumably not just in this series, but we're very, by the time this series ends, we're going to be very close to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and I just think we're going to continue to get more and more examples of this. And, and part of the reason why it's so exciting is, as I was saying earlier, like, this is just not... It's not to say like, oh, all of the MCU has been the same. Anybody who's listened to me talk about the MCU for the past several years has known like I don't I've never subscribed to that. But this is an area that we've not really seen much of uh, much exploration of in the MCU. And now I think we're, you know, Moon Knight is giving us a, a strong push in that direction so that that way we, you know, we just see the MCU go uh, further and further with it because. Even the setup for this was just, this is the type of stuff you see more in horror, right? Like as Stephen mm. Grant is getting ready to leave the museum, here's what sounds like a dog whining. Don't walk into the dark for that. I mean, who am I? If I heard a dog whining somewhere in the dark, I'm probably going to go after and try and help the dog. Um, so <laughs> I, I can relate, even though Stephen Strange, or Stephen, not Stephen Strange, Stephen Grant with a V, uh, knew that there were uh, there was some scary stuff going on and, and people who were after him, but... Uh, he decides to go try and investigate and help, and then he realizes, yeah, that's uh, that's no dog. That's a freaking monster that's in there, and we just kind of get the little cat and mouse and then eventual chase uh, with the monster going after Stephen Grant, locks himself in the bathroom. One thing about bathrooms is they generally have mirrors. This one is no different, and this allows Mark to talk to Stephen telling him, I can save us, uh, but I can't have you fighting me this time. You got to give me control. It's the only way. Stephen Grant is panicking. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then I love this line delivery from Oscar Isaac as Mark Spector from the mirror. You're not going to die. Let me save us. And then we get to see the takeover. Uh, and it's not just Mark Spector taking over Stephen Grant. It is then Moon Knight taking over Mark Spector. Uh, we start to see that transformation. And then we're just hearing the beat down and then seeing it. And then we get that shot that we remember from the trailer where Moon Knight gets up from this vanquished monster, walks toward camera, and that's it. We, we roll credits, and that is the end of the first episode. I There is another conversation that we will have here about um, not having so much Moon Knight in, in this episode and, not, and, and only getting this last shot. But that whole sequence, I, I loved. Again, it's not the type of stuff we're used to seeing in the MCU. The way they used it here, I, I thought was very, very effective. And I like this idea of, you know, if we're dealing with uh, God, you know, dealing with gods and monsters is really kind of what we're we're in this space here right now with the mythology of this character and, and leaning into that um, in this moment. Um, I thought that was great. And, and I think, you know, it's such an interesting way to end the episode because you've had these blackouts, right, of, um, you know, of, of Stephen disappearing or Stephen kind of checking out and then these bad things have happened, but you haven't known like exactly what it was and you haven't seen exactly what it looks like. Well, now here's your glimpse of it, not just Mark Spector, um, but Moon Knight taking over. And even the violence that you were seeing, it was more of the stuff you're kind of used to seeing for Earth-based heroes, right? Taking out bad guys with guns, 
no, this is a supernatural superhero who just punched out a freaking monster. Uh, and that I thought was awesome. Yeah, I, I really like the design of Moon Knight. And I, I've gone and talked about this on the trailer before, but I'll reiterate here. I think it's actually been pretty clever. And I think of almost a happy accident how they've been able to justify, I say justify, but really lean into the costume of Moon Knight completely, almost verbatim, but use the whole Egyptian mummified uh, costume idea as, you know, as he's being wrapped around like a mummy uh, for his costume and how, like, oh man, it really does translate into an actual uh, Moon Knight costume, even though it's not anything like the, the actual, you know, Marvel character. Uh, you know, he's, he's wearing just a literal white, you know, this tight white tights and, you know, and looks amazing. But bring in that supernatural aspect and have and bring in the mummified aspect into it is really fascinating and really cool. I, again, happy accident. You know, I don't, I don't, this never was planned that way. And I remember what I can remember, Sean, but I love it. I think I've I definitely was a little weirded out by it at first, but now I'm super more into it. And again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I've always said, I got to see costumes move. Got to see him, you know, got to see him move a little bit on screen and got to see him in context. Context is always a key for adaptations of costumes. And I'm the biggest costume nut for these things. I think out there, I'm very, very picky um but again i i'm i've gotten used to it and i'm i'm definitely more into it now and this is where i would say i was disappointed that we only got a little bit and i, I didn't realize it was a choice and i think it was probably was it the right choice for remains to be seen i don't know yet i, I want to see more of it but I, I came to see i came to see moon Knight, and i got him at the very end which again wasn't surprised but i was dis- disappointed still not gonna lie i wanted a little bit a little bit more so but a little bit we got it was awesome. And, you know, and again, I go back to the comic books. He was, you know, this character is known for a long time just being a regular vigilante character. And in the recent comics, which are very good, by the way, I'm not sure, Sean, uh, Sean, I'm not sure if you're reading the Jen McKay series. It's very, very good. Um, and this is, he definitely brought in the aspect of this character being more supernatural, which Warren Ellis kind of brought into his, his run. And then they've all picked up from that. I think that angle going forward, but the the, ra- the latest series has really ev- you know really shown in going that direction more. So I think it fits you know that character more because he's a brutal character and he's very you know very brutal in how he fights as we see in this uh, short little sh- uh, scene here. So I, I think it fits you know you can have him be brutal on these monstrous characters and you don't have to worry about you know when he fights regular people and you can't beat him to bloody pulps basically. You know? Right. So I mean, it, it makes sense on Disney Plus. So I feel this all works out well and. Um, yeah, it just it is, uh, and it did its job. I will say that it, it left me wanting more. I want more Moon Knight. I think it looks good. I can't wait to get more Moon Knight. So, yeah, I thought this was a great ending. Um, I just want more, and I was disappointed we didn't get a little bit more. I, I didn't need it like a whole ten minute scene with him in in costume, but I would have liked to maybe a little <laughs> I bit did. more of it. Uh, no. <laughs> well, you know, well, I, mean, I didn't. I'm, I didn't you know, need it. You know, we can have the conversation about needs versus wants, but um, I, I definitely sure. wanted it. Um, I, I think, yeah. I mean, well, first on the costume, I, mean, it's, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I definitely wouldn't characterize it as as an accident. I mean, they made a choice here, and I think it was a great choice with the way they chose to. Uh, adapt the costume and because I think one of the questions you you want to answer uh, ask and answer about a costume is is why and I mean you can always go by the default because costumes are awesome but when you can have a a compelling answer that just kind of enhances the mythology and the character and, and everything 
then even better. And the way they've done this, where look, we're we're talking about Egyptian gods here. We are in uh, a space that is not uh, you know bound to all the laws of man or or whatever else. So like we're we're just in this other territory, and let's let's explore it and, and let's lean into that with some of the way we present things, and and that includes how the costume comes together, like how it actually gets there on uh, Mark Spector, and he's wearing it and becoming Moon Knight. I mean, he's there as as an avatar, as the fist of Khonshu, and this is what that looks like. So if he's if he's getting these powers from a god, then it can also include uh, the costume and, and how you know it's, it's formed around him. So that uh, part of it, I, I really really love as a choice. I think it's just it's very very smart. It's very effective, and it just looks cool as hell. Um, so I, I love that, and then I I, I love this shot. I, I think maybe the it's a combined issue of it's only one shot of Moon Knight in this first episode, but it's also one shot that if you've seen the first trailer or I mean, almost any of the trailers or spots like we've seen this a lot in the marketing material. So if you've just watched Moon Knight because it's a Marvel show and you ignore any and all marketing material, then I guess this was a brand new shot of Moon Knight for you. But for a lot of people, this was a shot they had already seen. So not only is it just one shot of Moon Knight, but one that we're very, very familiar with already. So that's where that and and other things like I I really love this episode. And so there's no this is not a criticism of this episode as a start to a six episode series where I would question this a little bit is just in terms of the overall presentation because we have seen at times Marvel drop multiple episodes on Disney Plus. They did the first couple episodes of WandaVision and also uh, Hawkeye was a two episode premiere. I think this is a series that could have used a two episode premiere. And that's without even talking about or spoiling what happens in episode two. That was just based on even my experience of, as I said, I had this luxury of, I can't wait to see what happens next. And that's definitely not a bad feeling. That's what you want the audience to be in. But I didn't really have to worry about whether or not I was a little frustrated or impatient uh, about not seeing enough Moon Knight in the first episode because I was just like, okay, well, Moon Knight's been revealed at the end of episode one. Now I can just go ahead and watch episode two. But for everyone who didn't have the benefits of, of screeners to just go right into the next episode, I do think there would be an additional benefit. And it's not just more Moon Knight, but it's additional context, additional information, because there's still so many things that you don't know. I mean, I I do think Harrow explaining what his mission is and what Amit is after and everything, that's very helpful because at least not only does it clearly define what the antagonist is after, but it at least provides you some clue of, okay, well, this is what this means for Khonshu, Moon Knight, and everything else. It's like, well, this seems like a bad thing, but they're ready to to just prejudge everybody and kill everybody based on what, you know, a god says their future is. Um, that seems like a thing that that our heroes would want to stop. So there's the motivation for our heroes in the story uh, that we can kind of, uh, we can gather from that, but I still feel like the the nature of these identities and then just getting more superhero uh, aspects of it, yeah, this definitely could have been, this series could have benefited from a two-episode premiere as opposed to a single episode. That said, 
is this really going to affect the series? I don't know. I haven't seen a whole lot of negative chatter. I've mostly seen positive so, stuff yeah. uh, in terms of the reactions to this first episode. I haven't seen people saying, I only got to I only got to see one shot of Moon Knight or I was confused by what was happening in the episode and therefore I'm quitting the show and I'm not watching next week. I think a lot of people, if you have enough interest to tune into the first episode right away when it drops or within that first week, you're probably interested enough in it that even if the first episode doesn't totally hit in all the ways that you want it to, you're going to tune in for the second episode. And uh, I, I certainly feel like the second episode has a lot of stuff that people are going to enjoy and should be very uh, excited about. But yeah, if, you know, hindsight being 2020, and if I can, you know, armchair studio executive quarterback here, uh, yeah, I probably would have gone. This seems like one that could have benefited from a two episode premiere. But again, I don't feel like they've cost themselves very much because I feel like uh, we're probably the most critical I've seen of them dropping one episode instead of two. Yeah, yeah, no, and and listen, I I mean this very clear. I I've enjoyed the show. Moon Knight's one of my favorite Marvel characters. I love him, so I'm not like oh, you know not flipping out by any means. But I just I'm disappointed that I didn't get a little bit more. And I also got and again. I say I say this all because I'm impatient. I want I want to see more of the meaty stuff that I want to see, which is more of the Moon Knight character and getting even more conflicted of what's uh, between Conchu mm-hmm. and you know what is reality, what isn't reality. Those things I really love about the character and the aspects of those things that, that go on in his you know his world, and that's what we're gonna get. And I'm you know again for what all that I, I've I've heard into the trailers, it, it seems like that's where we're headed. So I'm not worried by any means. I just I kind of knew this would probably be my least favorite episode going into it, and and again, I love WandaVision, um, and I I'm very much known for not liking the first episode of WandaVision. It it was necessary, I think it was a a really interesting creative choice. It just did not I did not love it as much as the other ones. Um, but again, I think it was needed, but it just wasn't didn't I didn't love it like everybody else did. Um, yeah. This is the same thing, but I love the other episodes way more. So I think this will be more the same. I think Oscar Isaac was great. Um, there, I, Ethan Hawke was great. Um, I love the way he played. He's playing this very subdued, uh, you know, avatar of the other Egyptian God. Uh, I already like how Oscar Isaac's portraying Mark Spector and the little bit we've gotten from him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think Moon Knight's costume looks great and, and it looks good in motion. So, and Concha looks incredible. So I'm pretty much, I'm in, like, I, I'm ready to go. I just, I'm ready to get more deep in the middle of everything. Knee deep in the, in the, in the mythology. Not, I'm, I don't need to be introdu- introduced to everything, but like, Again, that's because I already know the characters, so right. I'm a little different. But yeah, I, I liked what I got. I just didn't love it right off the bat. But I'm very much can't wait for the next episode. Yeah, I am. Uh, well, I'm certainly excited to watch the next episode again because screener links expire. Right, that's my, my, amongst my first world problems over here. So yeah, I am very <laughs> excited to watch the the second episode again. And and, and look, I, I think this episode does exactly what it's supposed to do. And I, I think as you mm. were kind of mentioned, likening it to WandaVision, like. Some things are about setting up the kind of the, yeah. the mystery that needs to be unraveled here. And that's kind of what this episode is. And I think that's and so this episode is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. So it's not that I would change anything about this episode. It's just because this episode is more of the setup slash introduction to deliver a little bit of the payoff without having to make people who've uh, make people wait an additional week to get into some of that stuff. But as I said, I, I don't really think it's going to 
harm the series in any way because this is still a strong episode uh and i know and being impatient means uh, that you'll it probably just means you'll you'll watch the second episode that much faster uh in order to see where it goes from uh from that last shot and so yeah overall i i really thought this was a a great first episode uh, of the series i think the performances uh, have been great uh, as i said i i love the tonal shifts that are are happening in this. I, I love being able to not just kind of hover around the edge of horror territory, but just step right into it in uh, different moments in this episode and uh, just provide something uh, fresh and, uh, and just the latest fresh new thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how that's going to open doors for not just the continuation of this series, but other projects, other things that we know are just there on the horizon uh, for us as MCU fans. I, I really, really like the way that uh, that all of this uh, got started, and I, I can't wait to watch the second episode again and talk about it uh, here with you, Paul, And because there are definitely yes. some, th- some things I... I will have some questions for you <laughs> when we get to... <laughs> Uh, the the second episode. So there I can start uh, feeding the hype, not just for the second episode, but also the podcast review of uh, the the spoiler review podcast for the second episode. But that is where we will wrap up this episode, our episode one spoiler review for Moon Knight here on MCU Fan Show. Make sure you are checking out Fan Show Plus, whether that's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts via the MCU Fan Show channel or just searching Fan Show Plus for additional MCU conversation and even stuff outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that is of interest to many of us. And then follow us in those places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, please. We really appreciate it. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also follow or subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. We recently just did a uh, primer for Moon Knight and went over the uh, 2006 uh, series of Moon Knight comic books written by Charlie Houston and art by the amazing Doug Finch. And uh, had a great time talking about those and breaking. I haven't read those in a long time, Sean. And, uh, and that was kind of my reintroduction to the character. And I thought it, it's a great, um, even though I think the Warren Ellis Jeff Lemire run are probably the best. I think the, the best comic books you can read of Moon Knight today. But I would say the great, I think, good way to get into the character and to kind of understand the world a little bit is probably that run. That was my introduction to the character, reintroduction, you could say. Um, and and it, they brought in probably the aspect of the Conchu God talking to Mark Spector. Um, that's where that comes from. It's from that run, essentially that, the first, the first, uh, um, 2006 series of first six issues. And it's zany. It's crazy. And Doug Fitch's work is incredible. Oh my God. It's, it's worth it just to read those issues. So, you know, check that out. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, another few. Oh yeah. Last thing I'll end with the, uh, the comic binge we're doing uh, streaming every Tuesday. Um, pretty much from now on. So every show will have will be they debuted on Tuesday, and we'll do a live stream. So join us on there. We have a lot of fun. So yeah, every Tuesday, seven forty-five ish PST PM. Join us. Very cool. Join them over on the comic binge. And if you'd like to follow me, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. Later's Gators. <laughs>